0: Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 15, Jen Cushman Jewelry Artist, recorded on November 18th, 2013. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host and my mother, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So we've been on a little hiatus for the last few months, and you have virtually every week said to me, when are you going to get a guest? We got to get the podcast going
1: again. Yes, I think that establishes who's good and who's bad in this scenario.
0: (laughs) Well, Christmas is coming. I hope you won't tell Santa Claus. Why don't
1: you tell us why we haven't been able to podcast for a while?
0: Well, you know, uh, you know that old saying, get a life? Well, as it turns out, I got a life and it became (laughs) a little bit. I've been having an interesting time trying to juggle my career and a dating life and a big social life now so that's that's been a really interesting thing and a lot of the projects that I had have uh, I've had trouble dealing with because you know I didn't realize how much of a workaholic I was but I used to wake up in the morning and work and then go to sleep at night and that was pretty much it so but I am glad that we found the time I think I found a little more balance now and um, we found the time to do this we're back on track don't you think mom
1: I'm looking forward to it, and we have a great guest.
0: We do. We have a fantastic guest. Our guest today is Jen Cushman, and she describes herself as a natural storyteller, and she found mixed media about 13 years ago, and as she says, she's never looked back. And she's the author of two jewelry books. I have one of them, which is fantastic, and she writes a business advice column called Art Chooses You for Belle Armoire Jewelry, as well as a new how-to jewelry column called The Mixed Media Metalsmith in the fabulous Cloth, Paper, Scissors magazine. And Jen is also the vice president and partner of Susan Leonard Casmer, who is a wonderful jewelry artist. I actually own several of the pieces that she's made. Mom, I think you have a couple pieces of hers. Yes, I do. And I've taken classes with her. And she is the ice resin lady also. Uh, Jen is also the ice resin lady.
2: But um, and Jen, I think you're also a mom and a wife, too. Yes, I am. Boy, when you're talking about balance, I'm rolling my eyes over here. I'm like, oh, my word, that's not easy. No, it's not easy at all. And you, man, you got a power packed,
0: all sorts of stuff. Um, And speaking of which, maybe you could sort of take us a little bit through what it is that you do and how you got there.
2: Oh my, you know, talking to a storyteller, it's hard. I'll try to keep it short and not bore everybody, but you know. um, (laughs) We like long stories. Yeah, long stories. I think I'm the queen of long stories. So um, anyway, uh, basically my background is I'm a journalist, newspaper reporter. That's what I did. I've always been crafty. My mom made sure, my mother's not crafty, um, my dad worked nights and slept during the day, so I had to be a pretty quiet child. So my mom, you know, recognized that I was crafty as a kid, and I pretty much spent my, you know, my life. I live in Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised. So I was either in the air conditioning, in the craft store, in a library, or in the pool. So um, that was how I spent my childhood in Phoenix. So I did a lot of craft projects. I found journalism when I was in high school and I truly thought that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Like, you know, people asked me if I wanted to be Barbara Walters and I was like, well, maybe, but I don't want to be on TV. So, um, so anyway, so that's kind of how I started it. And I got into home decorating a little bit and, did all those kind of things. But um, I had my son when I was 31 and I left the newspaper business at that time. It was pretty high pressured, high powered. I was, I was writing about tech stuff and I knew I really couldn't be a mom and write, keep up with the tech community at the time. So I quit and I was just going to be a stay at home mom and kind of write and do freelance. And I was so lonely and I went into, uh, I had a, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom and these babies. It's like it was Groundhog Day. They do the same thing. Every moment of every day, you never, ever change. So um, it was interesting. So I found scrapbooking and um, creative memories kind of found me and I found a mom's club and I started scrapbooking and that was in 1999 and now here I am. I didn't realize that you were a scrapbooker ever. I was. I started it. I loved it. I got kicked out of the club pretty quickly, unfortunately. So um, <laughs> why? Uh. Because I came. This was 1999, and I came to my my second crop with my bottle of rubber cement and the plastic bag from my recycled turkey bag at that point, because I was doing a beach page and a ba- and a, a bottle of paint. You know what I mean? Acrylic paint. Uh, Rubber cement and a recycled turkey bag in 1999 got me got me kicked out of the club. Hmm. So things have changed a lot and scrapbooking is fabulous and wonderful and arty, but it really it wasn't those things back then. Do you still scrapbook at all? I don't, unfortunately, I don't have time to scrapbook. My son has volumes of scrapbooks between zero and five, and my daughter has uh, two resin necklaces. So,
0: (laughs) well, you can't wear the scrapbook albums. You know, balance.
2: (laughs) That's all I can say. When you have to do work and children and husbands and, you know, social life and all of those things, you just can't do it all. Something has to give. Truth. Yeah. So so that's how I started. So anyway, um, I found mix. So at that time, they weren't using the word mixed media. That really wasn't the word mixed media. Um, But there was the word altered art. So I quickly learned that there was something called altered art and I quickly learned that I really wasn't a scrapbooker as much as that was my gateway back into finding my crafty self again. I love scrapbooking and I can look at people's scrapbook pages and just be in awe of what they do. Um, But it was kind of my gateway back into my crafty self. And then I pretty much quickly went into collage and assemblage and paper crafting. I mean, but really not just paper crafting, three-dimensional work. Um, and then I went back to work, I was writing, I was, I was working for my home, but I was a working mom. And I went back to writing for magazines, and I was writing art for magazines. Um, you know, this was a good time. This was the early 2000s. And you know, the economy was doing pretty good. So I was Writing for you know um, uh, American Craft Council and American Craft Magazine and um, uh, you know Niche Magazine and I mean a lot of really amazing publications. So I was writing about the visual arts at that point. So I was kind of writing about the visual arts, and then in the quiet of my home, I was making work. So nobody really knew I was even doing art at that time because they really only knew I was an uh, a writer and a you know journalist.
0: What kind of stuff were you writing about art? Was it critical
2: of stuff that was out there or about trends or... No, I, I made a decision pretty quickly that I couldn't be an art critic because I can't criticize anybody else's work. Um, I truly believe that the creative process, I have done enough interviews now. I've talked to enough artists. That's why my column for Bell and Wild Jewelry is called Art Chooses You because I really believe that artists have a different DNA. I believe we are born with a different brain. We just see the world differently. We, you know, I, I felt lonely as a kid. I really, you know my brothers and sisters were gone so you know there's a lot of reasons for that but i think a lot of that is because i just see the world differently so i don't believe that i i don't believe that i could criticize anybody for doing what they have to do because instinctively artists are if you sit down at your t- your table, your kitchen table, your corner of your world, whatever you do, and if you make things because your brain literally will not stop unless you make it, I'm sorry you're an artist. You can call yourself anything you want, but you're an artist. So um, so that was it. So I decided I wouldn't be I wouldn't criticize anybody. So instead I just wrote feature articles. i I wrote about I did artist profiles. I wrote about collectors. Um, You know, I had the opportunity to write about collectors who had, you know, millions of dollars in their collection. What made them tick? Why did they collect certain artists? And that was really kind of what I did. I also did gallery
0: profiles. um, Did you find at all that um, writing about the collectors and what kind of stuff they
2: collected, that that has influenced your own artwork in any way? Absolutely. Do you know my writing? It's very interesting because I've realized now that by 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 really looking at fine art and really writing about fine art, I went back and started writing about art because it's kind of one of those convoluted stories again. But when I knew I wanted to go back to work, I was really only a stay at home mom for six months. Um, That was enough, but um, you know, not, I I love it, but I love working. So, um, So it was one of those things where I just started writing again and I had a love for art and I'm like, you know what? I can't write about technology anymore because I can't, research at four and five hours a day like I was. So, and I love art and I love crafts, so why don't I just write about art? So that's what I did. And then I was just very fortunate that at the same time I made the decision I wanted to write about art, one of my friends became the editor of a magazine and needed an art editor. So she called me on the phone and said, hey, I have this position, do you want it? And I'm like, sure, I'll be your art editor as long as I can work from home. So she's like, sure, no problem. But um, but anyway, what I did find out is as I was doing my own work and as I was doing all of this, that I was really being trained to look at fine art and to understand. And I'm really, really um, interested in and very drawn to contemporary art. It's really my aesthetic. And it comes from that time of learning about it. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You know that this actually, something you said is similar to something Julie has said, which is sometimes you don't realize it. You're amassing a resume and an arsenal of tools just by following what really interests you and pursuing it in some depth. And then when the opportunity comes along, voila, you have all the skill sets.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I fully believe in that. I think our heart leads us to where we want to be. Always, you know, and I think the hardest part is, at least for me and other people I see, is just getting out of our own way, you know, just Mm -hmm. follow our heart, follow our instinct, and just get out of our own way. We get so bogged down, and oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do these things? You know, the dreaded hows and whys of life, which are really important because you do have to have a place to live and you have to have food on your table. But I think that sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes I think it just doesn't make us dive as quickly as we need to dive. And so by following our heart, I believe it always leads us to what we're best at.
0: I think that's true. And I also think like there's nothing in your life that's wasted, you know, which is to say, like, I spent years working in the theater. And do I do that now? No. But can I see how the skills and the experiences I had there influenced the career I have now? Absolutely. You know, And I think that's true, I'm sure, for you and your career as a journalist, you know, has segued into a different kind of career as a different kind of
2: journalist and artist, you know? I agree. You know, Julie, I can look at you and look at your work and look at what you've done and all of your things and see how your theater has completely shaped you into a very different kind of mixed media artist. I mean, you have a very different skill set than a lot of Our peers. Um, You know, not that that's a bad or a good thing, it just is. And when I decided I was going to be a designer, artist, whatever you want to call it, I truly thought my journalism career was going away. I thought I was done with it and I was putting it on the shelf and I thought I was just going to wake up and be an artist one day. But what I found is that my journalism career is actually what makes me be able to do my career that I'm doing now as effectively as I'm able to, because that skill set, just like you said with theater, is being transferred to what I do on a daily basis, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And let's talk
0: about that career that you actually do now. You know, what
2: What? what exactly do you
0: do right now, Jen? <laughs>
2: Oh, what do I do now? I do a lot of things now. Um, primarily I work uh, with hand in hand with Susan Leonard Kasmer, who is the creator and inventor of ice resin, as you guys talked about, phenomenally amazing creative artist who I happened to have meet um, in 2005 because of my journalism career and because I was writing about artists and um, she inspired me. I never thought I was going to do jewelry. I never had any intention of doing jewelry. And, um, Susan inspired me so much that I ended up just falling in love with her style of jewelry and wanted to learn those skills. So that's kind of how I did it. And, you know, two jewelry books later, and I guess I'm really considered a jewelry artist, although I still don't consider myself a jewelry artist, but, um, but that's what, that's what I do. So I, I run, I run, um, this, Susan and I have our company together. My part of the company is sales, education, and marketing. And then her part of the company is home office, uh, new product development, um, finances, which is the dreaded part of the business, but she does it really, really well. And um, just kind of making sure we keep all in the. Way. So that's what I do. And then I write my columns and I do what you do. I see what comes in on the email every single day. And sometimes I'm blown away by the offers that come in, you know, it's like to contribute to a book or do this or be part of that or whatever it is to basically get the love of art out there. And then I also teach. So I teach uh, mixed media and I teach at the national retreats and, you know, spread the love of resin and metal and jewelry and creativity. Okay, I want to go back to a couple different things, but
0: one is you said you don't consider yourself a jewelry artist. So what kind of artist do you consider yourself to be?
2: I consider myself a straight mixed media artist. So, um and that means that I mix mediums and materials every time I sit down to do a piece of work, I am always mixing two or more things together. So, whether it's it's paper crafting, which I don't do very much anymore, but I can, or Um, jewelry or collage or assemblage or even home decor. I love home decorating and whatever I do, I'm mixing, I'm mixing textures, medium and material to create something.
0: So here's a question I have for you, which is what do you think, or, or do you think there is, you know, we both work in the craft industry and the question is what's the difference between craft and mixed media?
2: Oh, this is a great question. I love this question. I'm actually supposed to write a blog post on it at some point in my own brain for me and everybody else there. There's a difference because like you, Julie, Julie, I am both jewelry. Like you, Julie, I am both both a designer and an artist. And there's a very distinct difference in my mind between being a designer and being an artist. When I put on my designer hat, I am using the products in front of me that have been given to me as a manufacturer to make the product look good. So I am using their product. I may be using an art technique, I may be using something interesting and exciting to inspire people to want to pick up that product by that manufacturer, but I am not hand creating it. When I am an artist, I am basically taking it and I am either doing something really different with the technique or really advanced with the technique, or I'm coming up with my own imagery or my own thing. Like a perfect example of this would be, um, if I were working with Prima as a craft manufacturer, which I don't, just so y'all know, um, I don't work with Prima, but if I were, I would, if, if Prima gave me a bunch of flowers to do, I would do everything I could to make their flowers look amazing. And that's being a designer. If I'm working as an artist, for me, and this is my own personal definition, I would probably figure out a way to hand make those flowers. Does that make sense? It does. And it it also goes to something that I know
0: that I've talked about a lot, which is authenticity. And authenticity just in terms of things that are authentically you, meaning only you could have made that stamp, only you could have created that image, only you could have, right? It's just, it's authentically you.
2: Absolutely.
0: That said, I mean, I think it's a really interesting question, because I'm loath to ever tell anybody that they're not an artist. Do you know what I mean? In fact, I, I think I tend to err on the side of telling everybody, yes, you are an artist, because I think that's an important thing to embrace and to say, you know, and yet at the same time, I'm highly cognizant of the fact that there are these sort of gray areas about is that art or is it craft or is it design or is it something else, you know?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting because I talk also – authenticity is a huge thing. I agree with you there, and I talk about that as well. Um, But I also talk about the hand of the artist, and that's really important to me too. It's like when you can even – you know, you and I share many friends in common, and we have designers who are designing for the crafts industry and are making, a, you know, making their living working with manufacturers for the craft industry. But there is the way these people approach their work that has the hand of the artist. So even when they're designing for the crafts industry, there's no doubt that that's their style, that that's their work, that that's their um, what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you're What you did at CHA when you did your art journal dress is exactly, you know, what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, you were at CHA, you were there as a designer, you were making a dress, but you had such a unique stamp on it that, you know, you blurred the lines between designer and artist completely on that show floor and turned it on its head. So there's that process too. Thank you. Can I just ask,
1: so you said that you're... uh... Your bent is toward contemporary art. And I was just thinking that one of the issues in contemporary art is if I find something and I just mount it or place it in a box and I explain to you the way I am seeing it, where does the hand of the artist come in? Or how, how does that how does that go over with you?
2: Well, it depends if you're, if you're Duchamp and you took a, you know, you took a um, bicycle, wheel a bicycle yeah. Yeah, and you took a bicycle and you mounted on a piece of wood and you stuck it in the middle of the room and you put a spotlight on it, you know, you're an artist you know if you take that bicycle wheel and you put it on a bicycle and you ride around the neighborhood then you're going for a, you know you're just going for a sunday drive in your neighborhood you know on your bicycle so um I, you know I, I mean these are really kind of theoretical these are the kind of discussions i used to have when i was writing about art you know what i mean which is funny cuz i don't really have them much anymore um they're that you know they're the kind of where you get in a gallery and you have these great discussions, but, um, it really, it's the mind of the artist. It's the hand of the artist. It's how you see it. Like I love found objects and my studio, I have, I have, you know, tops of where my cabinets are and they're just found objects. And, you know, I have gears next to nest next to, you know, all this random bits of metal and um, they're just found objects. I didn't do anything else to them, but the way I've placed them in my studio has created some artful little vignettes. So when you walk in here, the question would be the same thing. Is that a bicycle or is that a piece of art? You know, that's for somebody else, I guess, to determine whether I'm an artist or not, or if I just collected a whole bunch of junk and stuck it in my studio. It's about your perspective on it.
1: And actually that ice resin that we were talking about. One of the things a lot of people do with it is they take something that they've found and then they make it usable as a piece or a part of a piece of jewelry by putting it in the ice resin. It's a really interesting discussion. And I think people are, are, are liking the idea that it's almost like scrapbooking your life in the sense of it's random things that you've come across. Mm-hmm that only you have come across at this moment and it means something to you and you can maybe remember how you found it when you see it or where you found it. I mean, it's just, it's about making your life evidenced in a material way. It's kind of interesting.
2: You know what? That's an awesome thing, making your life evidenced in a material way. I think that could be a definition of artist if you put it there, you know? That's really, I think the artists are really... That's part of the artist's brain. There's something, there's something about artists. And again, this isn't the designer or the artist. This is artist. This is what you and I are talking about, Julie. What's really, I think, is an easier way to replace with the word creativity as opposed to artist. But it's like if you are naturally creative, people who have that kind of brain naturally have to put their creative stamp on their lives. You know. It's like they're just—they do it in the way they look, or the, what they wear, or how they decorate their home, or just something. You can just look at people, and you can just be like, "Oh my gosh, they are just creative," you know. Hmm. I think that's really true. Let's let's
0: talk about ice resin for just one second, in case there's some person out there who doesn't know what it is. Can you okay. explain it?
2: Yeah, I can't believe there's anyone that doesn't know about ice <laughs> resin.
0: Just in case. Just in case.
2: (laughs) No. It's okay. I'm working so hard. We're working really hard to make sure that everybody knows about it. So um, ice resin is a jeweler's grade resin. It's two part epoxy resin. Susan um, started working with resin a long time ago because she works in layers and she loves the juxtaposition in negative space, positive space, transparency. A lot of really amazing artistic um, intellectual thoughts that woman has. So um, she started working with resin way back um, when her kids, who were teenagers, were little, and a lot of the resins that were on the market were um, uh, a lot more toxic just in terms of the chemical composition they were put together. And it kind of led her to seek out, you know, a kinder, gentler kind of resin if she could find one. And um, so she started working and developing ice resin. Um, The most important thing for Susan is that coming from her background is that it's jewelers grade. And so jewelers grade, it means it will never, ever yellow. It's not going to, you know, um, I mean, if you stick it out in the sunlight and you stick it there with UV rays, it could yellow, but I mean, under normal jewelry wear inside. It's not going to yellow. It's not going to fade. It's not going to crack. It's not going to turn cloudy. You know, When you pour it and you make a piece of jewelry with it, then you're going to have a heritage piece of jewelry. So um, it's thick. It domes beautifully. It's a magical medium. You can cast with it like you were talking about. You can take a found object, make a cast. I love doing that. Susan does these full figures where she casts the bodies and the faces and all the other stuff um, and, and it's just kind of a, a magical elixir. It's like, it really is an art medium, but you can do, you can do as simple as you take anything that looks like a bezel. You can put an image in there, you can mix up ice resin and you can put it on top of it and put it on a chain and wear it. And it's beautiful. Or you can be as complicated as hand sculpting figures and making cast and embedding and doing layers and, putting organics in it and coloring it and and embedding. So it has this huge range of possibilities from the crafter to the most, you know, fine, a fine artist. One of my
0: favorite, um, ice resin uses is making the ice resin papers. Mm -hmm. Probably because I'm really primarily a paper artist. And I, I know that I've seen some beautiful books that Susan has made with the ice resin paper where the resin I guess it gets into the paper and the paper becomes kind of translucent. And it's it's and luminous
2: almost it's really neat. It is. That was where, when I first met Susan, I wasn't doing jewelry. So I, you know, I hadn't done jewelry and I met her and she, uh, again, this was, you know, 2005 when I met her and she made a piece of resin paper and it was like, Oh, it's like the heavens opened up. You know how, when you're like an artist and all of a sudden you find something and you know, it's going to change your life. It's like when she did resin paper, it changed my life. And it was just, you know i took it from there and it was like oh my gosh i'm going to bring ice resin to scrapbookers and then and then you know and then i started getting into metalworking and i don't scrapbook anymore but i love resin paper you can dye you can use it in a die cut you can use it in the cricket machine you can punch with it you know it's just it's phenomenal and it literally the resin seeps into the paper and it changes the actual composition of paper so it makes it waterproof it It, you know, it glows, like you said, it, you can use it in jewelry. It's just, it's magical. I have a pair of earrings
0: that I made after reading your first book that are, I made with doilies that I resined. Mm -hmm. It's just really cool stuff. And your, your first book won a
2: whole bunch of awards, didn't it? Well, one, it won a national award. So there's a, we self-published it. So um, that book was done in four months from beginning to end when my baby was a newborn, <laughs> so I'd, I'd put her down and then, you know, I would go, everybody would go to sleep. And then I would come in and work from about midnight till about three and write that book. But, um, but the first book was self-published. And then it was entered in the independent book publishers awards, which is a global, I mean, it's global. It goes, they take international entries and it won a bronze medal in the um, DIY crafts uh, area.
0: That's amazing. Can you can you talk a little
2: bit about the process of self-publishing? Yeah, it's not for wimps. um, I can tell you that. So (laughs) it's not for, you know, you kind of have to uh, you you have to know what you're doing there. And luckily, my publishing background made it like, oh, I've written articles in newspapers, I can write a book. Um, But it's, it's really gratifying. And it's really not as difficult as I make it sound, as long as you have somebody around you who is a good editor. I mean, you have to have a good grasp of the English language and you need to have a couple of set of eyes who can really look at things because the thing about self-publishing is everything you do right is yours and everything you do wrong is yours. So you don't have anybody to blame it on. So, um, but you know, you can, and this was really before ebooks came out or anything like that. So, you know, um, the self-publishing that's almost a whole nother podcast. It's like that area has just exploded. And, you know, Explore, Create, Resonate only came out, what, three years ago? Four, three years ago. And the self publishing area and digital downloads and all that stuff has exploded.
0: But now your, but, second, your second book was not self published, right?
2: No, I did that one with F&W Northlight Books, and I did that specifically because I wanted, I was like, okay, well, I've now self-published a book now. Now I want to see what it's like to work with a publisher. So so I went through that process of submitting a book proposal and working with a publisher to see how that was going to happen. And when they told me that, you know, I had six months to write a book, or not even six, well, six months for part of it, that it would take 18 months basically from beginning to end, I was like, wow, that's a lot of time (laughs) compared to the four months. Yeah. So, and four months really was start to finish. That was, um, it actually got written published, I, I wrote it, I did the photography of it, I put it together in six weeks. And then wow. it went off to the, um, we still had to have a designer do it. Don Sokol, who I'm sure you know, who is in our, you know, she's another art journaler. Don's an amazing um, freelance book designer. So she did our book for us and did that and did all of the um, InDesign for it and did all the graphics work on it. And then it went off to the publisher. So it was four months from beginning to end with that book. The normal process for a book is 18 months to two years from beginning to end.
1: Julie, you have this book coming out, Carved Stamp Play, and Mm -hmm. didn't you find that one of the frustrations with that long lead time is that by the time the book comes out, you've already moved on in a certain sense artistically?
0: Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I... One of the things that I happens now when I look back at the book, which is just coming out now, is that I certainly feel like, oh, I've learned something new since I did that and I wish it could be in the book, you know, which um. I think is inevitable when you have that long amount of time, Right.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I look back at my, even my jewelry book right now, my making metal jewelry book. And, you know, there's times where it's like, I mean, I, I specifically make my, excuse me, my wraps and my loops, I call it organic. I must've said that 8 million times, but you know, it's messy. Um, my friend calls it messy, but cool. But (laughs) anyway, so, you know, they're organic, they're specifically meant to be imperfect, but, there's some wraps in that book that are a little bit too imperfect now for my skills. I kind of, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, once you do this and you work on it and you know, I've literally done a million more wraps since then. So, you know, I've got it perfected now. So now it's like what you're talking about. It's kind of one of those things where it's like my skills, my skills have gotten a little bit better. My stuff has just gotten a little bit finer and yeah, I'm ready you know what I mean I'm I'm actually really ready for the next book now because I have so many new things that I've learned in that time that I'm ready to put them into another one and do you think you'll self-publish or you'll go with Northlight again I don't know I'm still working on that one right now that's Mm -hmm. kind of that's that's my um I'm I'm that's what I'm doing right now I'm really trying to figure that one out right now so um you know, we've got our new iced enamels out, and that's our brand new cold enameling program that we started this year. That's phenomenal. And we're we've been approached by three different publishers to publish that book, and they really want the book um, to do it, but our problem is that the time frame on that one is really difficult. So we're really debating whether we're going to you know, self-publish it. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know in my life if I could turn out another book in six weeks. So, you know, I've, I've kind of grown too. So, um, so I don't know yet to be determined. Well, it's the
0: cliffhanger there. Then we'll all have to wait around (laughs) biting our nails and see, right?
2: Absolutely. I can't imagine everybody's going to sit around and wait for that one. (laughs) I want to know. (laughs)
0: Enameling is so cool. I want to know all about cold enameling. Come on. Yeah. Don't be mean, Jen. Teach me. I know. I- <laughs> well, actually, and speaking of teaching, um, okay, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think I read something that you teach test classes
2: before you actually teach your classes. I did in the beginning. I really had fun with that. So I, there's a – my favorite scrapbooking store that I started teaching at in 2002, I guess, is called Paper and Metal Scrappers, and they're in Payson, Arizona, and I love these ladies. And they have been, you know, they had metal and with paper a long time ago. So I would always go up there, and I have this group of ladies that, you know, they're so wonderful. I put my name on the calendar, and they just sign up. They don't even wait to see what it is because they know they're my test group. So I would teach my test classes before I started teaching them nationally on the circuit. I don't do that anymore, um, but that was something I did for a while uh, just because I needed to see how people – for me, it's really important to see how people respond to things. Where they have difficulty, where I need to improve, uh, where am I not being clear enough? Um, it's just very, very important to me with my classes that at the end of the day, everybody has really learned what they needed to in order to improve their skills. They in my classes you have to have you have to leave the class knowing more than you came in, or else I just didn't do my job. That's just the way it is.
0: I agree. And I think one of the keys to being a good teacher is really being able to anticipate where students might have problems or questions, because mm-hmm. it allows you to, A, teach in a way that you can sort of answer that and B, to offer alternatives to people, you know, and I think test teaching, it seems like a really smart, smart idea.
2: Yeah, it was fun. I wish I could still do it. Um, like I said, I just don't, you know, something <laughs> back again to balance that darn word. <laughs> but, I know.
0: So let's talk about that. Do you have, um, do you have any sort of tips and tricks on how you have uh, found some balance? Uh,
2: the only thing I know how to do, and I wrote this Bell um, uh Bel-O-Moi, I was really fortunate that in the March issue this year of Bell Jewelry that I was the designer showcase. So I was like their feature designer designer and Risa wrote about me and um, she does an amazing article and you know, it's really hard to be the journalist and then all of a sudden to be the subject of articles. Now um, talk about control issues. It's just not easy, but Risa did an amazing job and she asked this question. And for me, I do something called chunking. It's just the way I build up my time. I have to be really, really focused when I do it. So, you know, whatever, if I'm going to give three hours to studio time, then those three hours are my studio time. And I have to be, I mean, the phone has to go off. I have to move and I just have to do what I do as best I can. And then when I have family time, it's like the phone is off and I have family time. And I just really try to make sure that in the hours of the day that I have, that it is chunked up in a way that I get to give, the the most focus I can during the time that I can, or I would just spin and not ever get anything done. So it's just like you go at a hundred percent at whatever you're doing. Yeah. And for, it's almost like, I wish I actually was good at being, you know, doing exercise. But it's kind of like I've watched on TV because <laughs> I don't like to <laughs> do it myself. But I've watched on TV those people that do spinning, you know, those spinning classes where they spin as fast as they possibly can. And, and get someone's screaming
1: heartache. at you while you do yeah. it. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's kind of like the spinning. I kind of go, I do what I can as fast as I can at the moment to be as as focused as I can. and then And then I get off the treadmill and I go on to a different thing. I so. think
0: I think that's one of the things that I've been looking at as I've been trying to teach or trying to like find some sort of balance, trying to figure it out is that I think I need to be a little bit more obsessive about um, guarding the time that I do have to work, you know, and not letting things drip into it.
2: Well, that's why I had to, I had to come up with this plan. You know, we all have to figure out what works for us and I didn't know any other way of doing this, but to do that. And I've, I've watched Susan through the years have so many different opportunities and so many things that she's had to do um, that, you know, she's been a good mentor honestly, because I've had to watch kind of how she navigates things and what she does. And then I kind of had to take for my own, what works for me. And, and you really, it's really hard, but you have to really jealously guard your time when you get busy and, you know, Facebook, honestly, social media can be the biggest time suck in the entire world. So I have to really guard, I even have to guard my social media time because social media is an incredibly important part of one's business. Now, I don't believe you can do business without doing social media but you need to actually fit social media into your life the same way you have to fit, you know, exercise, eating, time with family, that kind of stuff.
0: So speaking of mentoring, because you said that Susan has been a great mentor for you. I know that you participated in the uh, mentor program that the CHA designer group has CHA being the craft and hobby association.
2: Mm-hmm. And how was that as an experience? Well, you know what? I only did it once. And I was really lucky that I got Natalie Kalmbach, who really didn't need much mentoring. So mm-hmm. it was fabulous. But she's fabulous. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's absolutely amazing. And I don't, I don't really know why it was funny. Cause when they, they paired me up with her, I, I, first thing I said to her was like, Nat, why am I your mentor? You're, you're doing everything right. Like you, you're already on your path, you know, like you, you're, you're set to run. So So they gave me the easiest person in the world to mentor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good thing, I guess. It was. (laughs) And unfortunately, I haven't been able to do it again. I'd like to. Um, You know, we have definite goals for the company, Susan and I. And one of the things that we want to do, you know, you have to build a company and it takes a lot of time and focus to build a company. But um, that's why we still teach, because it's just, it's important. It's important to be out there with people. It's important to have connections. It's important to, to learn and inspire people and then be inspired by people. And so, you know, mentoring is something we'd like to do. We'd like to really be able to mentor women in business at some point, but, but, you know, right now we have to keep growing the business. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So, Uh, Mom, did you have any other questions? I know
0: mom's
1: been so quiet. I'm so sorry. Well, when you guys are doing fine without me, (laughs) why intrude? I, I will ask the following, which is how do you reconcile the fact that you have to spend so much time turning your art into business? Do you have an opportunity to just do the art for its own sake to use products that are not part of your company to go and explore in directions that are not necessarily immediately useful in the business?
2: You know, it's an amazing question and it really, you know, it's an amazing question and I would love to not give you an honest answer. It's such an amazing question. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I'd love to be able to really say that I have, you know, that I really work playtime into my work and all that kind of stuff, because that's the correct answer. That's the answer I should be telling you. Um, the reality is there's just, there, there's not a lot of time for that. So, um, I do use other products that I love from other manufacturers. I don't do it in a traditional way. The designers do, um, uh, CHA designers will work with a manufacturer, you know, they, they get paid to work with manufacturers or they work out some kind of deal with them um i just use products from people who i know the products will work well in conjunction with ice resin so um so now when i go to work and add others so like for example inks uh we're good friends with imagine crafts and sukiniko because i know stays on works perfectly with the resin so i'll I I seek, I'm now where, when I work with other manufacturers and I work with other products, I work with things that I know are instantly going to work for me. Um, Sometimes, every once in a while, you know, we have a cabin and I'll get up to the cabin and I don't even have an art studio anymore up there. I used to have a studio, but I actually took it out. So it was just family time up there. But every once in a while, I'll bring my tools or I'll bring some wire Or I'll just bring something that I want to play with, and I'll spend you know a couple of hours in the morning just doing it for art's sake. But I still tend to Instagram them, or I still tend to do something with them. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that same person I was in the early two thousands where I did my work and I made all of my stuff in private. I mean, nobody even knew when I actually joined CHA, a designer member, people were shocked because nobody knew that I could make art. They didn't even think I could rubber stamp. So, wow. Yeah. Cause I'll they only killer rubber stamper. <laughs> 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 I love stamping. I
1: love it. Julie, can you answer the same question? How do you find or do you find time to do artistic things that have no immediate business payoff
0: um that i mean that's a really hard one and obviously like jen said i mean i think one of the things for me is i um i am sort of hyper aware right now that if i don't grow and evolve that in the end that will actually be the death of my business more than not being able to produce art right now for my business. Do you know what I mean? So it's a matter of thinking of like short-term goals versus long-term goals. So one of the ways that I force myself to make time to make art that is sometimes uncomfortable or not necessarily, you know what I mean, in my wheelhouse is I take classes because that's time I've paid. So that guarantees I'm going to show up. And it's time where I just – I have to do it and I have to try something new. So that's why I find like even if the class I'm not – learning, you know, anything extraordinary, it's still forcing me to just make art for art. And sometimes that's the best thing of all.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, my little one's four, and I've been doing this. I actually said yes to Susan when I was six weeks pregnant with my daughter. Um, so really this kind of hamster wheel's really been just really in the last few years. Um, but with you, Julie, it's the same thing. It's about I think that we all have to recognize long-term goals versus short-term goals. And so classes and study and those kind of things is on my long-term goal w- list because I really believe the same thing. I'm like I really don't know how to draw and I want to take sketching classes. I want to take figurative classes and I really want to hone my skills but Right now, my daughter's in preschool and, you know, when she gets into first grade or some other things, then that's when I'm going to go back and do that. But I am completely with you. I think that's true.
0: Learning is an important thing. I mean, that's the other thing is I think it makes you a better teacher. Or I think it makes you better whatever. I mean, I could preach about learning for a very long time and I will not bore anybody or force you to listen to my lecture on why classes are important. <laughs> but suffice to say, I think everyone I know who has a great, um, our career is also someone who's a lifelong learner. You know, I think they go hand in hand.
2: Yeah. I I think, well, I think lifelong learning, just being a mom and having children, lifelong learning is the key. Like my, my kids have never, they've never been told that there's an option to college. Like, of course there's an option to college and it's trade school and they can do trade school. They can do whatever they want to do. But I'm raising my children to just, I really am trying to raise my children to be lifelong learners because I just think it's the only way, particularly in technology in today's world. I think it, it's just, it's, it's an extremely important life school, skill, whether you're an artist or an engineer or, you know, a barista, you need to be a lifelong learner. So there's my soapbox. There you go. We're all on the soapbox.
1: The only other thing to add is that the lifelong learning doesn't have to be directly in, for example, the art field, you could be learning to be a better tech person or a better public speaker. Uh, and in some way that's going to come around and enhance the art career. So yeah. it's not always a one-to-one, oh, if I do this, this, I can immediately apply it.
2: Right. Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that both Julie and I you know, and yourself probably that we, you know what I mean? That, you know, uh-huh. we ended up with one career. We, we started on one path and ended up on another path. So exactly what you're talking about.
0: Life is full of those happy accidents. I always tell people follow the shiny ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we should probably wrap up. So um, Jen, where can people find you online?
2: Um. So I have a website, jencushman.com. I have a blog, jencushman.wordpress.com. Um, I can tell you that sometimes I'm very, very good about blogging and other times I'm just not. Um, You know, a lot of my my business advice columns, I swear I'm at the do what I say and not what I do point, which is really kind of a bummer. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, So you can find me there. I'm on Facebook. I have Twitter. um, You know, you can follow the Ice Resin. Not so much me, but you can definitely follow Ice Resin. We have a company blog and we update that about four times a week. We've got free tutorials, when you said you want to learn about, you know, cold enameling, it's like, go on to our website. We've got all that stuff. Um, Susan and I are teaching next year. I'll be teaching. I love the create retreats, cloth, paper, scissors, go cloth, paper, scissors. So I'll be there at those retreats and Tucson and CHA. And, you know, I'm around. It's like, you know, you may have to look for me a little bit, but I'm around and I do respond to always respond to my emails. You know, like you, it may just take a little bit longer than expected, but I always, I always respond and I do Facebook. I have a rule. I Facebook 15 minutes in the morning at the beginning of my day. And I Facebook 15 minutes at the end of the day. So you can always find me there cool thank you so much and
0: as always you can find me at balserdesigns.typepad.com mom is a ghost on the internet so you'll never find her but um, do leave us your comments or questions at balserdesigns.com backslash arting we'd love to hear from you and if you tweet about the show please use the hashtag pound arting a-r-t-i-n-g and thank you so much for listening and we will see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast